All right, so last week uh, we talked about spiritual, spirit, soul, and body, okay? Remember, who was here last week? Okay, so, so there's a few that weren't here. So I'm just going to quickly just recap some of what I said last week because this will build on what I said last week. So uh, you are, there's an there's a understanding uh, that, you know, it's, the, it's, it's just some doctrines that says that you are a spirit and that you have a soul and that you dwell in a body. And uh, the more I read the scripture, the more I see that I don't think that's a very accurate description of how it is. You are a spirit, soul, and body. You are all three at once. Okay? So the body without the spirit is dead. So you can't, you can't chop it up into little blocks. You are spirit, soul, and body. And your soul is so important. And, and uh, because of certain ways of thinking, we've neglected the soul man, thinking the spirit man is, is everything. We neglect the soul because that's carnal. And then the body is, I don't know, somewhere trying to catch up or something. All right. But you are all three. So your soul is where you experience life. Your soul is where you are aware. Your soul is what you feel, what you say, what you think. <laughs> okay? I'm help, being helped here from, from behind. All right? So your soul is the, is the you. If you read, you have been, you know, cleansed. Or you've been forgiven. So you, it's the you. So the real you is the soul. Okay, now the question is, is your soul directed towards the things of the spirit or is your soul directed towards the things of the natural? Okay, so uh, Ephesians says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Your mind is part of your soul. Okay, so your thinking and your, your inward life, is your thinking totally surrendered to the mind of Christ that you find in the spirit or is your thinking completely overshadowed by circumstances and and influenced by what you see in the touch feel see realm okay so not also before people are born again if they look to the unseen they they find darkness and they find all kinds of gugumajugis okay but when you receive the, hear the gospel and receive the gospel, you receive the Holy Spirit. You are born again from incorruptible seed, which is the word of God, says First Peter chapter 1 and James chapter 1. He, by his own will, begat us by his word of truth. So uh, we are born again from the word. Okay? So not from a corruptible seed, but from an incorruptible one. By the ever-living word of God, says First Peter 1. And this word is the gospel that you have heard, the good news. All right, so the good news carries the spirit. It's not a natural word. It's, it's not a human word. It's not a word from this earth. It's a word from a higher realm. It's a word from a higher reality that is unseen, from the spirit. And when that spirit dwells in someone and that someone preaches the gospel, that word does not originate from that person's mind. It originates from the mind of Christ. And it's spoken to you through someone who is sent to preach it. Okay? So when you hear the gospel, you're not hearing a natural message. 
It's not information. So you will not receive it with the intellect only. So and that's where a lot of people miss the spirit. You need to receive it with the heart. With the heart a person believes, says Romans chapter 10. So when the heart receives the word, there's something that starts happening in the word, in, in your heart. So you hear the word and the word starts, is being deposited in your heart. So Colossians chapter 3, 16 says, let the word dwell in your hearts in all its richness, in all its fullness. So our hearts need to be meditating on the word, meditating on the things that God is saying. Now, if you look in this book, you will find two messages, one from Genesis to Revelation and another one from Genesis to Revelation. And the one is the tree of life, which is the gospel, and the other one is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which tells you what it is. It's the law. It's the distinction between what is right and what is wrong. And the distinction between what is right and what is wrong will bring death to you. It is designed in this way to put a veil on your heart so that you don't hear and see what the Spirit of God is saying and doing. But all you, when you read Moses, a veil lies on the hearts and minds and you are, only, you are only aware of what is right in front of you in the five senses realm. So that means only reading the Bible from Genesis to Revelation with a perspective of law and what you must do to try and please God will blind you to the things of God and to the things of the Spirit. But whenever pers a person turns in repentance to the Lord, the veil is stripped off and taken away. So now you're in this situation. You who are born again, you who believe, you who have received the Holy Spirit. You are in this situation. <clears throat> you have the Holy Spirit of God inside you. And that Spirit is, is a whole realm. It's everywhere where God is. It's the Father's house. And in the Father's house, there are many dwelling places. So everyone who has this one spirit have the same dwelling place, which is this one spirit, which is God. So wherever he is, we are if we have the Holy Spirit. So you are the Ark of the Covenant in the new. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. We don't go to a temple, to a mountain to worship, John chapter 4. We don't go there. The Samaritan woman said, uh, where shall we worship? I perceive you're a prophet. Where shall we worship? He said, the time is coming. It's already here. We, 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 you shall worship neither on the mountain nor in the temple. So we're not going to rebuild the temple. Jesus said, break it down. In three days I will build it up. Speaking of his body. Are we not the body of Christ? Are we not the temple of the Holy Ghost? Okay, so within you, you are the dwelling place of God. So the abode of God is with men. Okay? So, because Christ dwells in you, your spirit man has now become completely saved, made one with the Spirit of God. So much so that you can't distinguish the two anymore. Your spirit is now yielded, born again. You died and you were made new in spirit. I've been crucified with Christ, no longer I that lives. So the eye of your spirit is now taken out and Christ lives there now. So when you take a magnifying glass to your spirit man, you'll find Christ. And that means you're a Christian. You believe. You are saved. You are born again. You with me? Okay. But now the soul man is not saved yet. And the body man is not saved yet because we see people getting sick and dying. Okay? But the soul man is sometimes full of faith, sometimes full of fear. 
Okay? So, which causes the body to react in a certain way. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, if, if the, the soul man is full of fear, and that means you're looking at the outside, you're looking at the five senses realm, and you, you subject yourself to it because of fear. Oh, look what's happening in the world. Oh, look the pandemic. Oh, look, they... I lost my job. Or I looked. This, da, 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 da. If you only look there, fear is going to rule over you, and the natural world is going to rule over you, and you are going to be a victim of everything that happens around you. So it's under the circumstances. But you can walk out of the circumstances. How? By looking away from all that will distract onto Jesus, who is inside you. So when I turn this way, soul. Spirit, body. Okay, so you turn to what is above, where Christ is seated. You turn to what is in the unseen. You turn to what is not yet manifested here. So when the influence comes from the spirit side, you're renewed in the spirit of your mind. So now your soul gets a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. So much so that the overflow of that will start touching your body and start... Uh, manifesting the life of Christ also in your body. Right, so, but if you, even with the Holy Spirit, if you start reading law, 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 putting your attention on where you miss it, putting your attention on what you think you must do to become right with God, a veil, and you don't see in the Spirit, even though you have the Spirit. All right, it blinds you. All right, so now, you live in fear. So now you start looking exactly like the world is unsaved. Even though you've got the Spirit of God inside of you. All right? The moment you turn again in your heart, veil is stripped off, taken away. You see, you're connected to the source. You see the glory in the face of Jesus, and you're transformed into His very image. So there's one rebirth, but there's many infillings, which manifests life. Are you with me? Okay, so, th so this is round about what I was talking about. So this whole week on, in the devotions, that's what I was talking about. On Tuesday, on Monday, we didn't have a devotion because last week was our wedding anniversary and we went to sleep in a hotel so that we actually sleep one night <laughs> with these kids. So, and um, my uh, sister-in-law and my brother-in-law, my heavy, uh, looked after our kids and and uh, we were so blessed to sleep one night outside so we are not uh, one Monday we went here right but Tuesday I said that where's the conversation of your heart Philippians chapter 3 says our conversation is in heaven and from there we wait for the coming of our Lord Jesus Philippians chapter 3 so uh, your heart is your heart engaging with whatever is going on in the world which is a manifestation of Basically, people who don't believe. Or is your heart engaging with what Jesus has done on the cross, what the Spirit of God is showing you, what you should be saying and what you should be doing? And if it is, then the Spirit of God from the inside renews your soul, and from there there's a river flowing, a river of water, of life, and then you are, all the, these things in the world is under your feet. So, if you are looking at the source of faith, you 
receive faith. You are built up on your most holy faith. Jude verse 20. You start ruling and reigning by grace over whatever is in the seen realm. But if you're not looking at the spirit, whatever is in the seen realm will rule over you. Two forces. Faith, fear. So when you look at the natural realm, you see something that you are supposed to subdue with your words. And those words need to be rooted in the Spirit of God for it to have power. Okay. So, we need to pay attention to what the Spirit is saying and what the Spirit is showing. Jesus said, I only do what I see my Father do, and I only hear, I say what I heard Him say. So, His attention was fully with the Father who is Spirit who was dwelling in him. He said, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Now we have the same relationship with Jesus as Jesus had with the Father. He said, if anyone believes in me, he will do the same works that I do and even greater works than these because I go to my Father. So where is the Father? In spirit. So where did Jesus go? He ascended. He went from the seen to the unseen. And there was a manifestation of a cloud. He went into the cloud, into the unseen. Cloud received him out of their sight. Okay? I've said this many times. It's not a cloud that goes to the cloud to planet heaven. It's a cloud. It's like, and he walks into the cloud. Okay? Into the unseen. That's Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit was poured out. So where's Jesus? In the Spirit. Where's the Spirit? Poured out on the church. So where is Jesus? In the church. Did I lose all of you? Okay. So Jesus is in the spirit. Flesh and bone body. Resurrected. He ate fish. He ate broke bread with them. Flesh and bone body. Not blood. The blood was shed on the cross. Okay. Flesh and bone body. But he could appear and disappear here and there and just move with the spirit. So it was the spirit keeping him alive, not the blood. Okay, so Jesus is in the spirit, spirit poured out on the church. So if you have received the Holy Spirit, you have received Jesus. In John chapter 17, he says, Father, I pray, I've given them your glory so that they may be one, even as we are one. And then he says, as I am in you and you are in me, that they may be one in me. It says, I in them, and they in me, I in you, and you in me. So Jesus is the door. Jesus is the connection with the Father. So if you're in Christ, and Christ is in you, then Christ is also in the Father, then you are in the Father, like Russian dolls. Okay? And the Father is in, is in Christ, and Christ is in you. So inside you is, is Jesus, the Christ, and in him is the Father. So now this person, the firstborn of all creation, dwells inside you. And he seeks expression through you. And it happens by faith in the word of Jesus Christ. Do you got it? Okay. So we need to look away from all the stuff that's bringing fear. We need to look away from all the seen stuff. And we need to pay attention to the unseen stuff that the Spirit is showing us. All right. So it's with that in mind that I'm going to start reading Romans chapter 8, okay? So verse 10, now let's start reading in verse 5, okay? 
Right, so for those who are according to the flesh and are controlled by its unholy desires, set their mind. Okay, so the flesh is seen, right? So there's desires of the flesh, right? Of the, your body has certain desires. That's not always the desire of the Spirit of God. Can you associate with that? Okay, all right. So there's desires in the, in the seen part of you. Okay. So, if you just read Romans chapter 7, it says, this we've been saying over and over again. Verse 5 says, when we were living in the flesh, the seen part of you, the sinful passions that were awakened and aroused up by what the law makes sin were constantly operating in our natural powers, in our bodily organs, in the sensitive appetites and wills of the flesh, so that we bore fruit for death. So, with other words... The more you are made aware of the knowledge of sin that's brought on by the law, the more you will struggle with sinful passions in your natural body. Okay? I'm sure you agree with me on that. But now we are discharged from the law and having have terminated all intercourse with it, having died to what once restrained and held us captive. So now we serve not under obedience to the code of written regulations, the law of Moses, but under obedience to the promptings in the spirit, in the newness of life. So we have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is your new law. A living person telling you, do this, don't do this, say this, stop, do this, lay hands on this guy, speak the gospel, tell this to this person, give that word of knowledge. So it's a law on the inside of you, it's a person, the Spirit, fulfilling Everything that could be in the law of Moses. So we live by the Spirit. We don't live by a law. So I'm not just taking away the law. Oh, now everybody's going to sin. No, no, no. I'm taking your attention out, off away from the law that gives knowledge to sin. And I'm giving, I'm revealing to you a different law, a higher law, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, which now lives through you perfectly. And he does it in you. So it's now no longer you that have to try and do it. It's him doing it for you, in you. So we have a better law, a higher life, a higher righteousness. Okay? You're looking like, you know, like I'm from Mars or something. Okay. What then do we conclude? Is the law identical with sin? Certainly not. Nevertheless, if it had not been for the law, I shouldn't have recognized sin or have known its meaning. We know Romans 3.20, by the law is the knowledge of sin. So the more you read the law, the more you will have knowledge of sin, and the more that knowledge of sin will tempt you to sin. Okay? Stirring up forbidden desires. Verse 8, sin finding opportunity in the commandment to express itself. Got a hold on me, aroused and stimulated all kinds of forbidden desires, lust and covetousness. Without the law, sin is dead. And then verse 11, sin seizing the opportunity, getting, its, getting a hold on me by taking its incentive from the commandment, beguiled and trapped and cheated me, and using it as a weapon, killed me. So, the more you make, the more you are aware of what the law says you're not supposed to do, the more your body will take that cue and stir up that very desire. But if your attention is with Jesus, who paid the price for all sin, for all people, once fall on the cross by shedding his blood, there's something else that's manifesting in your soul now. It's a new law. It's a higher life. And it's called the Holy Spirit. 
So you need to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You can be, have a fresh infilling daily, even though you were born again. Every day filled with the Spirit. Every day filled with the Spirit. How does that come? Oh, you senseless Galatians, who has bewitched you? Let me ask you this question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by doing the law? Or was it by hearing a message and believing it? So the same message that brought you the Spirit in the first place is the same message that will manifest the Spirit in your soul and then manifest the Spirit in your body. You with me? All right. So, back to Romans 8. Those who are controlled uh, according to the flesh and are controlled by its unholy desires set their minds on and pursue those things which gratify the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit and controlled by the desires of the Spirit set their minds on and seek those things which gratify the Spirit. Where is the conversation of your heart? Okay, verse 6. Now the mind of the flesh, which is sense and reason without the Holy Spirit, is death. Which means everything in the law brings death to you because it was before the Holy Spirit was poured out. Only Jesus, who had the Spirit without measure, who was conceived by the Spirit, and who was filled by the Spirit at baptism without measure, only He could fulfill the law. So the law is not for you. It doesn't speak about you. It doesn't refer to you. It's got nothing to do with you. We aren't even Jews. We were not even a party to the contract in the first place. It's got nothing to do with us. We know, Romans 3 verse 20, that the law only, verse 19, the law only speaks to those who are under it. Did I say something wrong? Okay, you're so quiet. Okay, Romans 6 verse 14. Sin shall no longer exert dominion over you. Since you are no longer under the law, but under grace. Do you get it? You are not under the law, therefore the law doesn't speak to you, speak of you. I'm still I'm not at the message yet. I'm just preparing the ground. Are you, are you with me? Okay. So, Titus chapter 2 says, When the grace of God, the grace of God has appeared, and it has taught us to live discreet lives and to deny all ungodliness, to deny sin. So, it's not... Uh, the grace that's going to make you sin, it's the law that's going to make you sin. Okay? All right. Mind of the flesh, sense and reason without the Holy Spirit. Everything that is not prompted by the Spirit. Everything that is not by faith in Jesus is death. Okay? Death that comprises all the miseries arising of from sin, both year and year after, but the mind of the Holy Spirit is life 
and soul peace, both now and forever. Is there anyone who wants peace? All right? Okay. The kingdom is not in eating and drinking, but it is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Okay. Your soul needs to be filled with the thoughts of the Spirit. Your soul needs the manifestation of God's glory, the manifestation of the Spirit. You need to be all over and over and over again filled and filled and filled and filled and renewed and renewed and renewed in your mind, in the Spirit of your mind. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So that's a daily thing. So now you have the first fruits, which is the Holy Spirit. So that you can, from there, the source, the well, the spring of the river, you can receive from the Spirit within you. You can drink at will from your own well. Now it starts to manifest more and more and more in your soul, man. And that manifests life. And it flows out of you. And it changes the world around you. Okay. So the mind of the flesh is basically thinking without the Holy Spirit. That is death. And the mind of the Spirit is life and peace. Verse 7. That is because the mind of the flesh with its carnal thoughts and purposes is hostile to God. It does not submit itself to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. All right. So remember the... A couple of weeks ago, we spoke about the two weapons. Who, were, who was here when I spoke about that? Okay. The two weapons. We just read it in Romans 7. It says, sin finds opportunity through the commandment. Sin takes its incentive from the law and using it as a weapon against me, killed me. So the first weapon is the law that sin uses against you to bring death to you. The second weapon, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, our weapons are not carnal, but they are mighty for the pulling down of strongholds. So what's a stronghold? It's a hiding place. Your, that desire is hiding lurking in your members colossians 3 verse 5 lurking in your members hiding itself there and it can only stay there if the reasoning in your mind allows it to be there so the more you reason something out trying to uh justify something because you feel a victim to this 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 and this the more there's a stronghold for a certain thing, for a certain behavior, for a certain type of thinking, because you think, yes, it, I can be like this because someone did something against me. So the weapons of our warfare are mighty for the pulling down of strongholds. In as much as we refute arguments, 
theories, reasonings, and everything that exalts itself above the true knowledge of God. All right, so the weapon is the gospel, the sword of the Spirit coming out of the mouth of Jesus, the double-edged sword that cuts into the heart. That's the New Testament weapon. It is mighty for the pulling down of a stronghold, which is a hiding place for certain behavior, for certain thinking, for certain things that we struggle with. When the mind is renewed, the sin loses its power. You with me? Renewed from what? From looking to the touch field sea realm, seeing why I am the way I am, and nothing can change it. The problem is, we expect the people to hurt us to also heal us. So quiet. Has anyone been hurt in your life? Okay. Has it caused you to go into certain cycles of thinking, certain cycles of behavior that you struggle to get out of? Okay? Did, did you think that you were stuck there because the people who hurt you cannot bring restitution to you? And now you're stuck with this thing. The people who hurt you are not the people who's going to heal you. Jesus will heal you. So, the temptation here is to keep on thinking in that old way. Now, the temptation is to look for justifications of why I feel the way I feel. Now, what I feel dominates everything and controls everything. And I'm looking for reasons not to change. Do you get it? So, how is it going to change? Stop believing the lie. Turn from the thing that you for years have defined yourself by to the person Christ. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to bring release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to bind up the brokenhearted. So who's going to heal you? Christ. I'm speaking of manifestation. He healed you years ago. How are you going to experience that healing in your heart? How are you going to experience that healing even in your body? By not looking at the thing that caused the healing, turning uh, the, the, the problem, but turning away from it, allowing your thoughts in your heart and mind to be renewed to what the Word says. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. If you're constantly focusing on this side, your aim changes. Your aim doesn't, doesn't, is no longer to know Christ. But everything you think, everything you say, and everything you do is geared towards getting sympathy from people around you. Sympathy doesn't heal the sick. Sympathy doesn't transform you. Sympathy doesn't change anything. 
It keeps you where you are. Does that mean we don't have compassion? For sure not. But what's going to bring the difference? I lose myself from everything that is behind me. And I strain forward to the thing, to grab a hold of the thing that we, of which Christ has grabbed a hold of me for. Philippians chapter 3. And then he says, verse 10, My determined purpose is to know Him. The knowledge of God. So the less you think of this, the better. Okay, so it could be something that you messed up. You can't get over it. You can't forgive yourself. And you are constantly judging yourself. Acute mental pangs, says the Amplified. Yeah, you, man, you're hitting yourself. You're thinking, man, I wish I didn't do that. You're stuck. Or it could be you did nothing wrong. Someone did something against you. And now you're stuck in that thought. You can't get out of that thought. This person did this to me. This person did this to me. Now you grieve because now you're stuck with this issue. And even someone else did it to you. You didn't choose it. Trauma lasts some time. Maybe let's, let's say an hour. Not even that long. After that, your own thoughts repeating the trauma, repeating the trauma, repeating the trauma is what's keeping you there. That is self-inflicted. So the question is, who do you take your nature from? What are you defined by? Are you embracing something that wants to destroy you? Or are you turning from it and receiving grace, receiving eternal life from the one who has already given his life up for you? So the temptation is all in the thinking. So the gospel is a mighty sword. It's not a carnal weapon. It's a spiritual weapon. It's mighty for the pulling down of strongholds. Inasmuch as it refutes arguments, reasonings, theories. And every proud, lofty thing exalting it, trying to exalt itself above the true knowledge of God. Okay? Knowing Jesus, having fellowship with Jesus, sorts it all out. Because you have died, and your new real life is hidden with Christ in God. You have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer you that live, but Christ lives within you. Christ is holy. Christ is perfect. Christ is whole. He's full of joy. He doesn't need to work on himself. He's alive inside you. So inside your spirit, soul, body set up the, the, the fullness of you. <laughs> Turn and give your full attention to the indwelling spirit. Who he is manifests in your heart, in your emotions, and manifests in your body, and it flows out in life. So now your actions aren't dictated anymore because of what happened to you. Your actions are all by faith. In someone 
who took your punishment, who took your trauma, who took everything upon himself before you were even born, so that you could walk into the perfection of life that he has inside of you. Do you think the cross was traumatic to Jesus? Yes, but you don't know what I've gone through. Do you know what Jesus went through? Oh, but you know, you don't know what they say, what they say about me. Okay, why don't you just go and speak to Paul? 39 lashes. How many times? Five times? How many times? I forget all this. So, hmm? Thrice. 39 lashes. Have you ever had 39 lashes with a, with a whip? Okay. Open sea three days because of the faith. Thrown to the lions. When last were you thrown to the lions? <laughs> In a stadium. <laughs> Not the rugby lions. Real lions. <laughs> but I think even that can be detrimental to your health. <laughs> okay, so. <laughs> okay. Stoned at Lystra. Did someone stone you sometime in the last couple of years? Oh, you don't know what I've gone through. Sure. I've said this also before. We can look to the excuses. And those excuses are valid. So it, those things may be the reason you are where you are. And it may not even be your fault. It may even be your fault. But the excuses won't get you to the glory. Sympathy doesn't change anything. It keeps you there. Your greatest enemy in your thought life is self-pity. Are you hearing me? The greatest enemy to your personal growth is self-pity. Okay, yes, it all happened. Sure. We are all sorry because we all went through stuff. Maybe you worse than I have. But now what now? If you repeat something in your mind over and over and over and over, you are programming yourself. And you are basically writing the code for your brain to operate without thinking. This is the way you're going to now operate. If you keep on meditating on the same thing, the same thing, the same thing. So because of the mind of the flesh, you don't feel like you want to turn to the Spirit and receive an answer. Because now you want to feel the pain so that you can get the sympathy. Have you ever been there where you wanted to feel the pain so that you can get more sympathy? Does it ring true? Okay, so it's not going to come naturally. It's not going to come automatically. You need to turn. You need to take your attention and giving it to the one who is, who is the, your help, your helper. Okay? 
So people say, yes, but it's too hard. Okay, it's hard to turn away and to look for a while, and then the joy hits you. <laughs> but it's harder to stay there. Okay. Right, let's move on to another thing. <laughs> okay, so Romans 8 says, Those who are living the life of the flesh, verse 8, cannot please or satisfy God or be acceptable to Him. So if our thinking is not aligned with the thinking of God, we're not flowing with Him, it's, it's not His will for our lives. Verse 9, But you are not living the life of the flesh. You are living the life of the Spirit if the Holy Spirit really dwells within you, directs and controls you. But if anyone does not possess the Holy Spirit of Christ, he is none of these. Okay, so you've been born again. Wonderful, praise God. But does the Spirit, the Spirit, does the Spirit dwell in your soul, man? Is He manifesting yourself? Are you filled with the Spirit and born again in your thinking? Is it the mind of Christ? Does that change what is active on the inside of you? Has the Spirit of God started moving you? 2 Corinthians 5.14, the love of Christ moves us, controls us. Because we are of the opinion that one died, and if one died, all died. All right. Now, verse 10. If Christ lives in you, then although your natural body is dead by reason of sin and guilt, the spirit is alive because of the righteousness that he imputes to you. King James says, And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. So by reason, you applying your thinking, your meditating capabilities to sin causes the body to suffer under it. Okay? But if you apply your meditating ability to righteousness, to the Spirit of God, the Spirit is life because of righteousness that is a free gift, it's imputed to you. Now, if your mind dwells there, that's the mind of the Spirit. It can start manifesting in your soul, and your body receives life. Okay, so what are we thinking about? The mind of the flesh is death. The mind of the Spirit is life and peace. Do you see how important is it? It is to get our minds under the control of the Holy Spirit. To get our minds to set your mind and keep it set. It's not going to be natural, so for a while it will be difficult. Until your mind really grabs this, until you experience the joy of it and the glory of it, man, then no one's going to stop you. So you set your mind, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, if you've been raised with Christ. Aim at, seek the rich eternal treasures that are above where Christ is seated. And set your minds. 
keep it set on the things that are above and not on the things that are on the earth. For as far as this world is concerned, you have died. They look at you and you think, they think, oh, this guy is gone. The happy clack piece have him. As far as this world is concerned, you've died. And your new real life is in the secret place, hidden with Christ in God. When Christ shall appear, you will appear with him in the splendor of his glory. Okay? Does it make sense? Okay. So, verse 10, although the body is dead by reason of sin and guilt, The spirit is life because of righteousness. So what brings the righteousness? Faith in the gospel. Okay. Now verse 11. And if the spirit of him who raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you. So now your soul man is filled. Your spirit man is filled. He dwells in you. He directs you. He is thinking in you. He's Moving you to do certain things. Then he who raised up Christ Jesus from the dead will also restore to life your mortal, short-lived, perishable bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. If we can just, just get this, we will have a landslide of victory. The body is dead because of what you're thinking. But now if your thinking turns to the Spirit of God and the Spirit of God thinks in you, life manifests in your soul. Now if, he, if that Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He will start to affect and touch and restore to life or quicken your mortal body. He didn't say if the Spirit of God dwells in you, God will kill you and take you to heaven. He says, if the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, He will restore to life your mortal body. Now, if something is mortal and it's being restored, what does it become? Immortal. Right. Let your kingdom come in earth as it is in heaven. Okay. Second Corinthians chapter 5. Do you want to live? Yeah. Me too. Second Corinthians chapter 5. So that means our minds need to be renewed. Be transformed by the entire renewal of your mind. Okay? Okay, so 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1. For we know that if the tent which is our earthly home is dissolved, we have from God. Where is it from? From God. So its source is in God. We have from God a building, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So we have an eternal, heavenly dwelling in Christ. You with me? That's the secret place. 
So if your body dies or it dissolves, you have that dwelling place in Christ. When do you enter that dwelling place? When you're born again. Not when you die. When you are born again. All right? Here indeed in this present abode, this body, we sigh and groan inwardly because we yearn to be clothed over. We yearn to put on our celestial body like a garment to be fitted out with our heavenly dwelling. So that by putting it on, we may not be found naked. All right. Who was found naked first? Adam. So Adam had the choice. You can eat of all the trees. Just don't eat of that tree. Because in that day you will die. Which means that tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, is the mind of the flesh because it brings you death. So here comes Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve. The serpent in the tree. The serpent the most crafty of all the creatures. So he was created. And he said, did God say? Trying to twist what God is saying. Eve said, God said we shouldn't eat of the tree because then we'll die. He says, no, you will not die because God knows that your eyes will open and you will have the knowledge of good and evil. And then she looked at it and the desire came. She desired it and she saw that it was good for food in order to make one wise. So she wanted to have wisdom apart from the Spirit of God. Outside of and apart from, separate from the Spirit of God. So the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is us declaring independence from the Spirit of God. We're trying to get to gain information to lead ourselves in order to become like him instead of him living in us and moving us. Your life is supposed to be in complete dependence on him. Through fellowship, he is the source of life. So if we take another word and we think we're going to be fine by that, totally ignoring the spirit of God, we are not going to experience the life that the spirit of God has for us. Okay. So their eyes opened, and God came in the cool of the garden, and he walked. He said, Adam, where are you? So what did Adam say? I'm naked. <laughs> Adam, where are you? I was afraid. So there's the fear coming from the touch field sea realm. I was afraid. So I hid myself from you because I was naked. God didn't say anything. He, he wasn't. He, he even spoke to Adam even after he threw him out of the garden. He didn't leave him. Adam separated himself from God. And that's what happens. That's what shame and guilt does to you. It, it tempts you to withdraw yourself from his presence. It's not him. It's you. That's why our thinking needs to change. 
If you're going to get stuck in shame and guilt and run in that cycle, you are the one taking yourself out of his presence. It's not him chasing you out. It's you chasing you out. Okay. So Adam was found naked. Why? He gained knowledge of what he didn't have and he tried to fix it himself. Instead of simply saying to the serpent, not eating here today. Bye. <laughs> Turning to the tree of life and starting to eat there and to be clothed over with his heavenly dwelling that is from God. Adam was a blank canvas. He was sinless, but he had to make a choice. Am I going to go for the natural stuff? It's this, this side. The natural stuff, the tree of knowledge, or are we going to go for the spiritual stuff, the tree of life? Adam was a natural man. He was never clothed with glory. Never. Not one day. So if you have heard that doctrine, it's not true. Adam stood up a living soul. Okay? When God breathed into him. So he had a choice. Am I going to clothe myself with my own knowledge? Or cover myself with a veil? Or am I going to find my new life in him? Hidden in him. That means he clothes me over. In Christ. Him in me. Back to 2 Corinthians 5. He says, We groan inwardly because we yearn to be clothed over. We yearn to put on our celestial body like a garment to be fitted out with our heavenly dwelling. So that by putting it on we may not be found naked. Verse 4. For while we are still in this tent, natural body, we groan under the burden and sigh deeply, weighed down, depressed, oppressed, not that we want to put off the body, but rather that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal, our dying body, by reason of sin and guilt, may be swallowed up by life. If the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, he will restore to life your mortal body. We don't want to put off the body, but we want, he's now inside of us. We want him to manifest inside of us in our soul, and so also now start manifesting on our physical bodies so that our physical bodies can be made a glorious body. Are you with me? So we're all in agreement that we're supposed to have a glorified body, right? So in Romans 8, he said, then when he is justified, he is also glorified. So when will it manifest? Maybe if we give our attention to what he has already given to us. Instead of letting our minds run around what is on the earth. Philippians chapter 3. 
We don't want to put off the body. He didn't call us to die. Otherwise, why don't we just send people speed mail? You know, when we baptize them, we just keep them under the water a little bit longer and then go to heaven instantly. Let's put pause. If, <laughs> if death is the ultimate, why don't we have lines saying, death, 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 die, die, death, death. Death is not the way to the Father. Jesus is the way to the Father. But doctrine has made death the way to heaven. Death is not the way to heaven. I'll, I'll speak about something just now. Philippians chapter 3. Verse 20 says, We are citizens of the state of heaven, which is in heaven. Not we will be, we are. You are now, having received the Holy Spirit, you are now seated with Christ in heavenly places. You are already in heaven, but you are also standing on earth. So, the only thing that needs to change is, are you aware of where you are in spirit or not? Our minds need to be renewed. Okay? So, if your body dies, you are with him in heaven. Because you have received heaven into your heart. Okay? Is it foreign to you? We've been saying this for years. Okay? Are you with me? All right. He says, and from it, from there, from heaven, we earnestly, patiently await the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. But everyone waits from earth. You are seated with him in heavenly places. From there you wait for him. Not from here. Where's your attention? Okay? King James verse 20 says, For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for our Savior, the Lord Jesus. So there we wait for him. Verse 21. Who will transform and fashion anew the body of our humiliation to conform to and be like the body of his glory and majesty. Okay, just pause there. So, the body of humiliation is the body that is dead by reason of sin and guilt. Are we in agreement with that? Okay. The body of death. The body, who shall release me from this body of death? Says Paul in the, in the end of Romans chapter 7. But then he says, thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus means... Your attention is in the secret place. The same spirit that now starts to manifest in your soul, that dwells in you, will also restore to life your mortal body. Okay? He will transform and fashion in you the body of our humiliation to conform to and be like the body of his glory and majesty by exerting that power which enables him even to subject everything to himself. So there's a power that he raised Christ from the dead. There's a power by which Jesus' body was so glorified that he was not, not uh, limited to one realm. He could just appear and disappear. And even today he appears to people. Okay? So... 
that power of his life which has been given to us by the Holy Spirit will transform, fashion anew your body of humiliation into the body of his glory. This is how people have understood it. People have understood it this way. They say, you die and go to heaven, so you are buried here and then immediately raised, resurrected to a new life in heaven. Does it make sense that you hear that before? But that's not what resurrection means. Resurrection means the body which is in the grave gets up out of the grave. Because Jesus is the first fruits of those from the, from the dead. Okay, remember Easter weekend, the whole resurrection meeting? Okay. Did Jesus die on the cross on earth? Was Jesus' body, earthly body, uh, buried in a tomb on this earth? Did Jesus, was his body raised from that tomb on the earth? Then so you. Okay? All creation is groaning, waiting for the sons of God to be made manifest. So that means the spirit that is unseen manifesting in the soul now starting to touch the body. Life appears. Death is swallowed up into life. And creation is groaning because they can enter into the glorious liberty of the sons of God. Okay? The glorious liberty. Where are you? Where are you? Okay. <laughs> My kids. All right. There's a window of opportunity. Your body was born at a certain date, and you have a certain natural life expectancy before your body dies. That's the natural reality that we live in right now, okay? So people get maybe 80 years, 90 years old, some older, okay? And then the body just deteriorates and dies. And people are trying to understand the aging process so that they can reverse it, okay? Because we're not supposed to be dying. If death is the ultimate, why do we want to live longer? Why do we take medication? Why do we take vitamins? Why do we exercise? Why do we eat healthy? If death is everything, why don't we just die? Okay, I'm not being uh, disrespectful. I want to just bring something over. So your natural body is alive for a time, a natural life. And that's a window of opportunity in which you can... Engage with the Spirit to manifest something of the Spirit life in you. So that that something can start touching your body. So that that window of opportunity can be stretched out more. And stretched out more. And stretched out more. Until the full manifestation of the Son of God. Are you with me? Does it make sense? Alright. So you need to experience more of a manifestation of life even in your body 
That means divine health. That means instead of 80 or 90, let's just go for 120 for a start. So we push those boundaries by faith and make the impossible possible by the same power that he used to raise Christ from the dead, by faith. So now, it starts to manifest. It starts to manifest. And we see glimpses here and there. there uh, Prophet Kobus von Innsbruck, he was given seven days to live. And he pushed seven days to six and a half years. By simply, I mean, the doctor said, where are you going? He said, I'm going to preach. He said, but you have to go to the, to, to the ICU. He said, well, what's it going to help me? If I believe you, I'm going to be dead tomorrow. But I'm going to go to preach. And he went and he preached a whole series on life. Which started manifesting in his body and he pushed. It came out of it, came out of it, came out of it. The body, he later died, but what happened? What demonstration of life did he, did he show us? There's something in the spirit that can restore to life our mortal bodies. Okay? So, 1 Corinthians 15 says, we shall not all die, but we shall all be changed by the sound of a trumpet, which is right through the Bible, a message. Okay, flesh and blood, he says, verse 50, cannot become partakers of eternal salvation or inherit or share in the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable, which is decaying, or inherit or share in the imperishable, the immortal. Take notice. I tell you a mystery, a secret truth, an event decreed by the hidden purpose and counsel of God. We shall not all fall asleep in death, but we shall all be changed or transformed. In, the moment, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the sound of the last trumpet, for a trumpet will sound, and the dead in Christ will be raised imperishable. So there will be a resurrection of the dead on this earth. Okay? And those who are in the graves will come out of the graves. Free, immune from decay, and we shall be changed, transformed. So those who died will be raised imperishable, and those who are alive will just be transformed. Verse 53, for this perishable part of us must put on imperishable so we would be further clothed this mortal part of us this nature that is capable of dying must put on immortality freedom from death and when this perishable puts on the imperishable and this that was capable of dying puts on freedom from death then shall be fulfilled the scripture that says death is swallowed up utterly vanquished forever in and unto victory so second corinthians 5 says so the death can be swallowed up in life. Okay. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Sin is the sting of death. And sin exercises its power upon the soul through the law. So if you read the law, sin will have power, death will have power in your experiences. But if you look away from the law, you look to what Jesus did, how he conquered death by going through it and taking back his life. That same power that he used to raise Christ from the dead starts to dwell in you. 
and it starts to manifest and it starts to touch your mortal body. And the manifestation grows and grows. Okay? It has to be preached so that it can be believed. If it's not believed, it's not going to happen. John chapter 11, verse 25. Now, this is the context. Martha and Mary's brother Lazarus died, and Jesus now came to raise him. Okay? Verse 21, Martha says, to Jesus, Master, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That's true. Verse 22. And even now I know that whatever you ask from God, he will grant it to you. Jesus said to her, your brother shall rise again. Martha replied, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So she was fully aware that there is a resurrection of a physical body that died. Okay? To be alive and walking around on this earth again. 25, Jesus said to her, I am myself the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. So don't we want Jesus to manifest and live in us and through us? I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes on me, although he may die, yet he shall live. Let's just stop there for now. If you believe in God, in Jesus, if you die, First Thessalonians 4 says, we don't, we, we uh, grieve, but not with, like those without hope, because we have a hope of the resurrection. Because when he comes, he will bring them that died in Christ, he will bring them with him. So nowhere in First Thessalonians 4 did he say we're going anywhere. But he says, he will bring those who died with him, raising them from the dead. Okay? So we don't grieve like those who have no hope. We grieve, but not like those who have no hope. Okay. So if someone dies having believed in Christ, they are, the moment they got saved, they are with Christ seated in heavenly places. Their spirit's fully saved, and they will just... See, they are there. Okay? But the moment when someone believes, yeah, they receive the life, but now he says in verse 26, and whoever continues to live and believes in me shall never actually die at all. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ. The Son of God, even he was coming to the world. So, do you believe this? She says, I believe you are the Christ. <laughs> if someone believes and he dies, he's with Christ in heaven. It's true. He didn't travel there when he died. He was in heaven with Christ when he got saved. But his body died. But we know he's going to be raised from the dead. Even though he die, yet he shall live. But there's another group. He says, we shall not all die, but we shall all be changed. He says, there's another group. 
whoever continues to live. With other words, now the unseen life starts to manifest in the soul, and that unseen life starts to overflow into the body and touch the mortal body to be raised, to be uh, quickened. It's the word in Romans 8.11. The body is restored to life. He's bringing life to your natural part. He says, if you continue to live and believe in me, you shall never actually die at all Do you believe this. So the, it is, it's been offered for all these generations. We don't even know if someone has broken through in it maybe in through these last hundreds of years. Uh, who knows about Sadhu Sundar Singh? Okay. This is picture they, next to Prophet Kobus. It's the guy with the turban on his head. Okay. So he was a sadhu, a Hindu sadhu, and he got saved. Jesus appeared in his room out of a cloud of ecstatic joy. Jesus walked into his room and he said, why are you persecuting me? I died for you. Okay. And his whole life was transformed. Okay. They called him the apostle with bleeding feet. <laughs> because he was walking. No one could keep up with him. He was walking there in the Himalayas preaching the gospel. It's just amazing. And he, he testified of having met people that were 500 years old. They said they can't go down to the villages. They'll kill them. <laughs> 500 years old. So they, they speak of events that they witnessed that you can only read about in the history books. Okay. Anyway. We... We don't know everything. But this word says, we can live and our bodies can be restored to life. Okay? So how about we just get our colds healed for now? Manifest life. How about we just get the headaches out and the arthritis out? It's a manifestation of life. How about we just... You know, get our thoughts and have it focused on Christ because the mind of the Spirit is life and peace. How about we just get our thoughts there? Before debating about immortality, how about we just turn our attention and start experiencing something that is life? Okay? So with that, I'm not saying cease to everybody who died. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, there's more available. So, are we going to go for it or not? Okay? So, even if we don't see the manifestation of it, even if that maybe happens to a later generation, let us push the envelope. Let us just push the boundaries of what is physically possible by just showing them the next generation, listen, Look what we have experienced. You can go further than we have. Okay? So what I'm saying is, we can contend for life. Okay. So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, sorry. So there's something that we need to contend for. Verse 11 says, 
But as for you, O man of God, flee from all these things. Aim at and pursue righteousness. Okay? Righteousness is life because, you know, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness of heart. Verse 12. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay a hold of the eternal life to which you were summoned and for which you confessed the good confession of faith before many witnesses in the presence of God who preserves alive all living things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. I solemnly charge you to keep all the precepts unsullied, etc. Okay. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of eternal life. All right? It's not going to just happen. We need to turn. We need to pay attention. We need to actively receive what is given. Okay, 2 Timothy 1. He says in verse 5, I'm calling up memories of your sincere and unqualified faith. A faith that first lived permanently in the heart of your grandmother Louise and your mother Eunice, or Eunice, and now I'm fully persuaded dwells in you also. That is why I would remind you to stir up, rekindle the embers of, fan the flame of, and keep burning the gracious gift of God, that inner fire that is in you by means of the laying on of my hands, which those of the elders at your were those of the elders at your ordination. So you received something of the Spirit by the laying on of hands. Okay, verse 10. Mm. Let's start at verse 9. For it is He who delivered and saved us, and called us with a calling in itself, holy and leading to holiness, to a life of consecration, a vocation of holiness. He did it not because of anything of merit that we have done, but because of and to further his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. So there's a purpose and a grace. Listen to the purpose and the grace. Verse 11. It is that purpose and grace which he now has made known and has fully disclosed and made real to us through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who annulled death. And made it of no effect and brought life and immortality, immunity from eternal death, to light through the gospel. He brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For the proclaiming of this gospel, I was appointed a herald or a preacher and an apostle and teacher of the Gentiles. Lay hold of eternal life. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever believes might not perish but have eternal everlasting life. Did not send his son to judge the world but that the world might find salvation. Okay? Those who believe not are condemned already. Those who believe will never be condemned. And then he says, the basis of the judgment lies in this, that the light has come into the world. 
But men loved the darkness more than the light, for their works were evil. It's this purpose and grace that is now made real to us. He brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. All I'm saying is, there's more. There's more. We've been programmed to think in a certain way. This age you do this, at 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 this age you do this. Now you have to go to uh, kindergarten, primary school, school, university for some work, 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 work. Start the whole process again with someone else, teach the children to do the same, grow old and three uh, off, retire and wait for death listen there's nothing wrong with planning for retirement that's all fine I'm not condemning that it's fine what I'm saying is there's some other purpose that God has with life there's some purpose that God has for life why don't we just content for it why don't we grab a hold of life we believe that he doesn't want us sick right so what is the ultimate manifestation of sickness is death so when will that not be true by his wounds we are healed so when does that stop being true something goes wrong in the elderly when they die so was that healing not for them so what do we believe do we believe in life or not so is our belief system governed by what we see in the reality or can we see something else in the spirit what the word says and realize man there's a difference between reality and what the word says so maybe we should just stand on the word until the reality starts changing and with that mind we started praying for the sick in 2003 and we started seeing them getting healed with that mind we kept on praying for deaf ears and they started opening up first they didn't all that much but the more we did it the more it happened so if that can happen with healing surely must have something some manifestation with the dead as well jesus said in in matthew chapter 10 he says go preach the kingdom the gospel of the kingdom heal the sick cleanse the lepers raise the dead he didn't teach them how to do it he commanded them to do it <laughs> the disciples never asked him lord teach us to raise the dead they just did it but they did say teach us how to pray teach us how to look there <laughs> all i'm saying is listen if someone died we know they will be raised from the dead if someone died in christ they are fine they are with christ they're they're fine we know there's a resurrection. 
But man, there's a manifestation of life waiting for us. All right. Everyone is so quiet today. Is it, is it the masks? Is it the... How long is it already gone? Uh, <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> okay. Amen. <laughs> All right. I just want to pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for your grace. Thank you for life. Lord, I just pray that you manifest your life. Come and pour out your spirit again. Fill our hearts, fill our souls with your Holy Spirit. We just want to have a fresh infilling with, of your spirit. We pray that you restore to life our mortal bodies in Jesus' name. Amen.